scriptures, Timothy chapter 3. And we'll be reading the first 13 verses of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let us hear then God's continuing instruction through the Apostle Paul to Timothy in the work that he has called him to do. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons. If they prove themselves blameless, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household's wealth for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we come to thee once again in this evening hour of this thy Sabbath day, Lord. And we pray that thou be with us as we open your word once again and we hear these words spoken. And whether or not we feel that we are qualified, that we, we do our best to faithfully serve Thee. Lord, we pray that Thou will be with Pastor Bob and give him the words to speak. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. So we want to look at three things from this passage this evening. First of all, the officers of the church. Secondly, the qualifications for the office. And thirdly, what is the responsibility of the church? So the officers of the church, the qualification for the office, and the responsibility of the church. So once again, God is not haphazard. God's not just throwing subject matter out. God, through the Holy Spirit, is not just going, "Eh, what else can I address? Hey, let's throw in something about elders and deacons. And then let's throw in some other topic. That needs to be discussed. All of this is done as God would have things to be done decently and in good order. All of this takes place within a context. And if we understand the context, we understand even more the purpose for which 
this passage is given. Now, let's set the context. Paul is giving a call to Timothy. He's telling Timothy, you need to go back to Ephesus and you need to deal with the circumstances there at the church at Ephesus. It has application for the church of God in all locations at all times as well, but it was in its writing specific to Timothy and to that which Timothy is to do, which is to go back to Ephesus. But that takes place within the context of why does Paul desire Timothy to go back? Because there are these false teachers, right? Verse 3 as I, of chapter 1. As I urged you when I was in Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which, excuse me, only promote endless speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. You need to go back and you need to deal with these false teachers. In that regard, Paul says you need to engage in the good warfare. This this is a warfare. This is a spiritual battle that I am sending you into that you need to deal with because of these false teachers that have gained a footing there in the church at Ephesus. And so it's a warfare context. But it's also a roles context. Each of us, in our own genders male and female, have different responsibilities, have different duties that God calls us to in this great enterprise of spiritual battles. There are many things in which we are the same. But there are areas of differences. Paul, in our chapter 2, has pointed out some of those differences. He's continuing that here. It isn't like we get to chapter 3 and suddenly that discussion of, of, of gender and of responsibilities and roles just falls off the table. And Paul starts going on with qualifications that have nothing to do with what he just addressed. It has everything to do with this last paragraph. But we're all called to the battle. We are all called to join in in this spiritual battle, but each in our own role. God-given roles. Not man-invented roles, not church-invented roles. God-assigned positions in this battle. And part of that, part of God's glorious design, is that if you're going to engage in spiritual battle, If you're going to be warriors for Christ, then you need officers. See, maybe you never thought about these two words in that way. right? These are the offices of the church. The people who fill these responsibilities, these roles, then, if these are offices, are officers. 
And what are we talking about? We're talking about warfare. Now, this isn't the typical warfare. This isn't man's warfare. This isn't the battle the way the world wages it. This isn't at all what the world would do. Why, why is that? Why doesn't God do and, and have his church run like the world runs their military spiritual battle machine? Because God desires the glory. It would be too easy if we fought the way the world fights to claim the glory for ourselves. But when we see the inconceivable way that God has ordained as the means by which this warfare is to be fought, we cannot but fall on our knees and say this is, can only be the work of the Lord. And if at any moment we claim it is because of what we have done, we have ceased to fight the warfare the way that God calls us to fight it. Notice what he's done. God says, okay, first of all, want to engage in this warfare? Pray. Pray. Well, what good's that going to do? God seems to think it does a lot. And I value the opinion and the thought and thinking of God above the thoughts of man. Man would think, that's not going to do anything. Why would prayer, why would praying in your room do any good? Why would praying in church, there's war to be fought out there. And God says, yeah, I want you to fight it by prayer. No, we, we, we may not win any accolades. We may not win notoriety. We may not get our name publicized anywhere. But we're conducting the warfare God's way. I want men to lead. I want men to teach. I want women to learn, but to learn quietly. I want women to take up their own responsibility. Well, how's that going to do? God's ways. Now, we could make lots of comments that perhaps he took the less smart of the sexes to do this so he'd receive more glory, the less wise, whichever. But it's God's way. It's God's design. It's God's purpose. Because this is the way God instituted it. So now we come to chapter 3. And God says, I want officers. And these are the kind of officers I want in the church. This is the kind of individual I want. And these are the positions. These are the tasks. These are the responsibilities. So what are the officers? offices? Well, first of all, there is the office of overseer. That's what he mentions. He calls them overseers here. Now we know that other portions of scripture, even later on in Timothy, we're, we're going to have the word elder, presbyter, 
We know that another term is poineum, pastor, that is going to be used. But here, the specific word in Greek is episcope, a bishop, an overseer. In my church, God says, in this spiritual battle, to wage this spiritual battle as I would have it waged, I want there to be overseers. What does that mean? What is an overseer? Well, that would tell us somewhat of the work. The work of an overseer then is one of supervision. One of oversight. One of looking over. One of checking. One of inspecting. One of making sure of. One of instruction. And so here come the three main tasks of of the overseer. One is to rule. Two is to teach. Three is to judge. This becomes the responsibility. In, In God's army, there need to be overseers. We call them elders in our congregation. They're presbyters, episcopi. Now, if I were conducting warfare, I'm not sure that's necessarily, I would see, I think, from a human perspective, perhaps some need for that, but not sure completely. And yet, this is what God institutes. And then secondly, he institutes an office of deacon, which we read about later on, right? Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-minded. Deacons. Diakonos is the Greek word here. These are to be involved in the, as officers of the church as well. What is their work? Well, if we go back to the original, right, Acts chapter 6, we got the apostles um, working, preaching, but they're also dealing with these widows, and and not everybody's being treated fairly. So they make the decision, we we need to have some deacons. We need to have some men who, who take care of this responsibility. And actually, the word... The the Greek word means and carries with it the idea to be a waiter, to be a servant. So if you ask me, what is the work of a deacon? I would ask you, what makes a good waiter? When you're in a nice restaurant, you're sitting down for a meal, what, what makes that server, deacon, good? Ah, uh, hey, this is the third time I've asked you now for a cup of water. Could I have a cup? This is the fourth time now I've asked you for another Diet Coke. Could you, could you get me that? What makes a good waiter? The water's there before you even ask. The Coke is back before you even ask. As you're thinking about it, they are already thinking ahead. 
That's what this word means. They are people who think ahead even before the need arises. Anybody can address the need after it arises. It is the deacon who sees the need, who understands people so well that he anticipates the needs that people have and meets those needs out of a spiritual desire. Out of a spiritual desire to honor and to glorify Christ, he becomes a servant ahead of time. He looks ahead. He anticipates. He knows. But he also knows not to press too hard. We've all probably been at a restaurant where the guy's like, okay, you're just in my face a little too much here. Okay, you don't have to hear our whole conversation. Just back off a little bit, buddy. Okay, you know, don't, 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 get, don't get so close. A deacon, you see, a good waiter, knows not to press too hard either. That's what this job is. God says, hey, in my army, I want men who anticipate the needs of others within the army and seek to meet that need for my glory and for my honor. I think I've shared with you on other occasions uh, this understanding that, that in, in, in the Greek thought, that the idea of, of a diakonos, a waiter, a server, is one who lets no dust settle. But he is always a dust raiser. Because he's always moving. He's always active. He's not waiting for things to happen. He is proactive. He is always engaged. In the work of meeting people's physical needs. These are the two officers. But then God says, and these are the kind of men that I want to fulfill the office. And so we read here, yeah, it, it's rather brief, right? That we, we just get whoever aspires to be an officer. An overseer, noble task. Therefore, an overseer, but we don't get much job description. Why? Because the word itself describes the job. Just like we have deacons, likewise must be deacons. We, we get right into it. Why isn't there a job description? Because the word itself, I guess that's what I was trying to make clear, is that the word, the title itself, describes the work that is to be done. But the greater extent of this passage is about the qualifications. Now I want you to know what isn't there. Sometimes it, it's not so much what is, but look what isn't there. Look at the type of things that God does not list as a qualification to be an elder or to be a deacon, to be an overseer or to be the waiter. God doesn't list. The guy ought to be a good fighter. The guy ought to be argumentative. 
The guy ought to be a yes man. Person ought to be wealthy. The person should be influential. The person ought to be well educated. Interesting. What isn't there? Because God's not going to fight this battle the way the world does. We are not to engage in the warfare that we are called to engage in like the world. And therefore, the people who are the officers are not going to be like the officers of the world. They're not to be cunning. They're not to be crafty. They're not to be a, I'm going to get my way one way or the other type of person. Not there. Instead, what do we find? We find that God is looking for men who are moral. Who have a standard of morality. A standard of holiness. what, What ought to start coming to you as you look at this is, is this sort of our New Testament Leviticus 20 and 21? Yeah. Yeah. But you see, it's not the standard of that holiness. It's the standard of Christ holiness. This is what God is looking for. He's looking, as it were, for Christian men to be officers in his church. Man who, men who have a moral integrity. There, there's even marriage laws here, isn't there? Just like back in Leviticus. Right? There, there were certain places. Yeah, here too. Married to but one woman. Not all the rules and regulations we had back there, but it's not like God is dismissing morality and saying, you know, that really doesn't matter to me anymore when I think about the officers of the church. Morality's not important. No, it's front and center. It's important. Morality, marriage. There is a sense in which he is looking for men who have good judgment. All this stuff about sober-minded, self-controlled, not a drunkard, not quarrelsome that we read with the elders. And then under the deacons, we get that same kind of listing, right? That, that they're to be the husband of one wife, managing their households well. There, there's that sense that they're not there for dishonest gain. They're not there to to make something for themselves out of this. But they're men of good judgment. Sound judgment. Judgment that is proven. Judgment that has a track record. Judgment that we're not taking a, a, a risk upon. But it's judgment that, that has been seen. And has been exemplified. There is a certain demeanor. 
There's a certain way in which these officers carry on their lives. And as they carry on their lives, there, there is a note of respectability. Not only from within, but from without the church. How, how do they appear to people outside the church? Now, that, that seems like a strange qualification. But not when you think what God's end goal of all of this is. What God's purpose in all of this is. It's not like God is doing this to push the world as far away from the church as they can possibly get. All of this is meant to draw people to Christ. To bring them to Christ. This is not the realm of the professionals. This is not like, well, they're a professional in their occupation, so they, they ought to be a good elder or deacon. No, that doesn't have anything to do with it. This person's a, a, a great physician, so they ought to be a great deacon at healing people. Let's just stop and think about it, right? Now, this is no diss on any of you who might be related to doctors and so on, but they all don't have the greatest bedside manner, do they? Right? It's not like they're all warm and cuddly. It's they're like, yep, your heart's beating. Yep, lungs breathing. Yep, see ya. Okay, that'll be 250 bucks or more. That might be the old days. Hey, okay, so is that the person you want as the deacon? Who's seeking to minister to people? Maybe not. Probably not. See, but that's not the way the world thinks. That, that's not the world's, that's not the world's system, but it is God's. I, I want men who are respectable in this world, who have a demeanor that is Christ-like in this world. That doesn't mean wimpy. That doesn't mean soft, but it does mean compassionate. It does mean caring. It does mean gentle. It does mean that. Gentleness is not weakness. Not in this day and age especially. God isn't looking for people to pound the heads of people. He's looking for people who will draw people to Christ. The officers of the church. These are their qualifications. And we could go down through them, but they're pretty self-explanatory. But if you think about the, the type of person that God is looking for. Oh, you, you, you probably run across the one, right, when we, when we deal with, with elders. And I think Brother Jack was praying along that, right? An overseer must be above reproach. I think some versions say blameless. You talk about a word that's a tie-in back to Leviticus. There it is. But just as a word of explanation, God's not looking for perfect men because then there'd be no officers in the church. There was only one perfect one. Right? This blamelessness that is spoken of here 
means that there is no outstanding sin that is being charged against them. In other words, you don't make an officer of the church somebody who is on trial in the church for adultery. You don't do that. Right? That's not the way it's conducted. So they must be men who are blameless. They've not, they're not charged with any overt sin that any of us can see. How then is the church, those under the officers, one might say the army, to look at these officers? What is, what is a church member's responsibility to these officers? What is a fellow officer's responsibility to a fellow officer? Three things. There's probably more but I'm going to narrow it to three. One, the responsibility is to pray. To pray. Paul, on a number of occasions, urges the church that he is addressing, whether it's Thessalonica, or whether it's Colossa, pray for me. Pray for us. Pray for us in this work that we are undertaking. This is not easy. To be an officer in the church is not for cowards. Because your number one enemy is Satan himself. The one who wants you to fail more than anyone else is Satan. He loves nothing better than the officers of God's church to fail. Pray. Pray. For the men of this congregation who are the officers of the church of Jesus Christ but not just this congregation, for others as well. For we know that every time one of God's officers falls, there is a certain amount of shame and disgrace that falls upon every church. Every congregation is affected by it. Pray, pray that God would build them up. Pray that the Spirit would empower them. Pray that they would be faithful, not just to the truths of the word, but to the moral integrity that God has called them to. Pray, pray. Secondly, respect. Notice Timothy, first this chapter we have read, this is a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Being an overseer is something noble. If one is in that position, then that is a noble thing that individual is doing. And they are desirous. Their task calls for it. Be respectful of these men who serve. 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. 
Let elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Meaning that even if they're an elder and they're not serving well, what do they deserve? Honor. See, he's not just saying, hey, the guys who do well, give them double honor. He's also saying, if a man is in the position, he still is deserving honor. But if he does a good job at it, give him then double honor. Just the position itself. Because God has called him to that position. God has given that position. It's like dissing the priesthood of the Old Testament. God did not take kindly to that. Because that was his position. Just as the position of elder and deacon are in the church of Jesus Christ. Respect them. Thirdly, I'd like you to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 13. Book of Hebrews chapter 13. The third responsibility that church members have. Go down to verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. Now for those who think, well maybe that's, you know, like state leaders. I don't think their responsibility is over your soul. Right? That, that responsibility belongs to the elders of the church and the deacons. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Maybe you don't realize it. Maybe you don't think about it. But when an elder comes or two elders come and speak to you about a matter, that's not personal preference. That's, that's not, hey, we sit around the room and we think, how can we make somebody's life miserable? I don't know, let's have a couple of you go visit them and talk to them about something. Make something up. Just make their life miserable. No, it's because we have to give an account. Not to you, but to Jesus Christ. That's a sobering thought. So let him do this with joy and not with groaning. Because that would be of no advantage to you. To make the life of elders and deacons miserable is not your goal in life. It shouldn't be your goal in life if it is. It ought to make their life a joy, a blessing. This is God's warfare. Oh, there's more to come. There's more to come. But maybe God is setting things this way because he knows where our tendency goes. He knows where we as fallen men and women want to go in a fight. And God says, wait a minute. Hold on. You indeed are in a great battle, a great spiritual battle. But it's my battle. 
It's my war. It's not yours. And we're going to fight it my way. To that end, how grateful and thankful we are that we don't have to doubt the outcome. We don't have to doubt where it's going because we know the winner. Notice I didn't say we know who's going to win. I know who already won because he is already your and my King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But let's fight as he would have us fight. Amen? Amen. Let's turn then to the hymn that's on the back of the sermon outline tonight. It's the same hymn we sang last week to close. O church, arise.